winter. Hello and welcome to What We Do in the Winter. This is the 48th episode in this series of podcasts from the Isles of Mull, Iona, Ulva and Gometra. I'm Alistair Satchel, I live outside of Dervig in the north of Mull and I'll be your host today. I hope this finds you well. This episode is a conversation with Anya and Mark Jardin of Iona. Due to the current lockdown situation, we recorded our chat over the internet. Originally from Germany, Anya comes from a village near Leipzig and grew up during the Cold War when the Berlin Wall divided the country into East and West Germany. Anya was living in the East under communism. We talk about the experience of growing up in this environment and the moment when it all changed with the fall of the wall. We also find out uh, what Anya's first purchases were in the West when that moment finally came. It's worth waiting for. (laughs) Um, Mark was brought up in Glasgow at a time of great change for the city. We talk about the diversity of Scots language in the town and his time at art school and how his path led him westwards towards Iona. Our conversation, I'm delighted to say, goes all over the place. And I'm really chuffed that I got a chance to chat with Mark and Anya. They've been people I've wanted to talk to for a very long time. There's a lot of flavour given to the contrast and similarities in their lives. And you're going to hear some lovely moments of them recognising things about each other that they didn't know and are finding things out for the first time. So I'm really, really chuffed to that. It was a lovely conversation to have. Anya also identifies aspects of connection to place that... I've been trying to explore all the way throughout this series of podcasts and I think she offers a really interesting perspective on her own connection to the island that she now calls home. This has been a real interest to me to find this out. Mark, Anya and Mark's sons Stuart and Neil run uh, alternative boat hire Iona. If ever you've been to Iona and have seen a stunning boat with red sails sailing by, that's likely to be the Bertha Marie, their boat. The story of the Bertha Marie and her refurbishment in itself is quite a tale and well worth investigating. You can find out more about it on boattripsiona.com. It's well worth your time. Before we go into the episode, I must just say thank you to Julie Cursup for her help in arranging the last episode. In the notes at the end, I said Jennifer when I meant Julie. I formally announced that I am a FUD, a fact which I know many of you were well aware of before anyway, but I owe a debt of thanks to Jennifer. Julie, thank you. Thank you very much, Julie. I hope this chat gives you a wee hour away from the world and just a wee break from all that's going on. I'll be back at the end with loads more havers. And now it is with great pleasure that I hand you over to Anya and Mark. Who are you? Uh, well, I'm Mark, Mark Jarden, and I'm originally from Glasgow. I lived in Glasgow probably till I was about 21. Right. So I went I went to college from home, mm-hmm. which um, seemed the right thing to do at the time, but um, it meant it was a long time before I left home. Yeah. Our family had a sort of history of coming to Iona uh, on holidays. Ah, wow. Uh, uh, so my father was probably the reason for that because he was involved with the Iona community in the 1950s. Um, in fact, he remained a member right up until his old age, but he was particularly involved in those days. As well as keeping that connection going, mm-hmm. um, we we found that Iona was just the place that everybody liked. Yeah. So we would we would come every year. I have not passed a year of my life without spending part of the summer on Iona. Lovely. Uh, 
So even the years before I lived here, um, I knew the island quite well. And when I was ready to, to leave home, I was intent that I wanted to live somewhere on the West Coast. Yeah. And that was purely down to spending time on Iona and loving it. But actually, I thought Iona wouldn't be the place because I thought that's the holiday place. Um, yeah. So it's funny that I did end up here, but actually it makes complete sense because yeah. you've, you've formed that bond, you understand the place, you've got some connections, you know, how the place works. So um, I went from being a city boy to, to a kind of... An island boy. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Anya, uh, so who, who are you, Anya? <laughs> Uh, I'm Anya Jardin. I'm originally from Germany. Right. Uh, I came to Iona 20 years ago, came to Lithia 20 years ago. Wow. Uh, yeah, I've, I've been here ever since. It's, uh, yeah, that's that's me. <laughs> and what about in Germany? Uh, are you from originally? Uh, I'm originally from eastern Germany, uh, a little place called Neukirch, which is um, south of Leipzig. That's oh, wow. Biggest city, Bach city. Yeah. Uh, where I grew up, like I was 17 when the wall came down. So I, I feel quite happy that I had an experience of the East and then, yeah. you know, of the West, you know, especially as a teenager, as an older teenager, being able to travel and explore the world. That was fascinating after having been in a kind of lockdown state, I suppose. <laughs> Although it did yeah. feel like that, actually. To a child, it didn't feel like that. How? Yes. Yeah, so, how did that? Yeah. What was the experience of uh, communist Eastern Germany like uh, at that time? What, what? What? Obviously, you can't compare it to. Well, you can maybe compare it to your daughter's experience. But what? What? what are the things that stand out for you from that radically different experience from what Mark's youth would have been? Um, what stands out? I mean, everything was very organised and institutionalised, I suppose. Yeah. And, I mean, I mean, I, you know, you look at things hindsight. You know, you 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 see yourself. So it's you know, it's you can't really. I can't really remember how I saw it as a child, actually, because I'm I'm judging it from my point of view now. I, I had a very very easy childhood, a good 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 childhood. You know, I didn't lack anything. Yeah. I suppose you don't know traveling abroad and going to big beaches. You know, we we would go on holidays in in eastern Germany. Or maybe to the Czech Republic or to oh, Hungary. Lovely. So, yeah. so your growing up was was easy, was good. Uh, I grew up in a village. Both my dad and my granny were involved in the local cooperative. So we didn't own the farm we lived in, or we didn't own it anymore. It used to be ours. Right. We, we owned the house, but the land the belonged to the cooperative. So, and both my granny and my dad worked for them, and we had pigs. Uh, we had big gardens. You know, as kids, we would run wild you know with all the other kids uh amazing really really good yeah and i think by the time probably where um maybe i would have struggled with eastern germany in the system things broke down and yes. and yeah, actually there was freedom so yeah. so i was very lucky in that way I, I i came to iona when i was 17 a year after the wall had fallen so that was quite oh magic yeah. oh. I'm, I'm definitely a country girl uh, yeah, yeah. Always been, always loved living in a place where you know your neighbours and you, you know, you chat over the garden fence. I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's it's very precious. 
you know, obviously it comes always with disadvantages, but I, I think the advantages uh, outweigh the disadvantages. Mm, significantly, Small. yeah, definitely. Okay. So to return further uh, to the West then, to uh, Glasgow, whereabouts in Glasgow were you born and brought up? Were you born in Rotten Row by any chance? Uh, no, funnily enough, I was born in Paisley, ah. and I'm, I'm not entirely sure of the reasons for that, but, right. but it's Paisley Hospital, apparently. That's what's on the birth certificate. <laughs> but um, my mother was actually a nurse um, originally. She still worked part-time when I was wee. Well, my earliest memories are actually of living the Gorbals. Oh, wow. Goodness me. But that's when I was up to three, so they're not very clear memories. Yeah. <laughs> um, my, my dad, um, with his own community connection, they were part of a kind of experimental group uh, that called themselves the Gorbals Group, and they were a kind of offshoot of the Iron community. Jeff Shaw was the kind of linchpin of that, mm -hmm. um, but my dad and later on people like John Harvey mm -hmm. and Walter Fife and folk like that were, were involved in that. Mm -hmm. um, so they, we lived there when I was very young, and then at the age of three, we moved to the West End. So nice. we were in Hillhead, really. Um, where about in Hillhead, where are you? Um, it was called Hamilton Drive, and it was just opposite the BBC as it was then. Gosh, yeah, uh, yeah, there we are. Next to the Botanic Gardens. So it was great. We used to go out to the botanics all the time. Yeah. Me and my brother would go and play along the banks of the Kelvin. Ah. Uh, yeah, it was it was a good enough part of Glasgow to be in. Uh, Byers yeah. Road was just there, and Great Western Road, and um, you know the. The drive itself, we had a few neighbours with pals to kick about in the backyard and that kind of thing. Yeah, it was a good good part of the city to grow up in. Yeah, totally, uh, yeah. What yeah. was Byers Road like when you grew up? Because obviously um, the way that Glasgow changed in uh, particularly the 90s, that Byers Road became, and the, the bit off the back of it there, became this very swanky kind of laddie yeah. dark place. So, you know, really appealing, and I that's part of town I love. But... What was it when you were growing up? Was it that? Did it always have a sort of, um, is the word frou-frou? Is that the right word? Or did it have a shake? <laughs> I think, um, I don't think it was as well developed as that then. Right. Um, and I think it was quite, um, it was always been quite university, you know, because yeah. proximity there. Um, and um, good cafes and things like that. Yes, of course. But it wasn't as clear-cut and, and sort of almost identifying itself in that way. It just happened to be that way to an extent. Um, I remember the library being built. That was a big wow in Byers Oh, Road. nice, yeah. Spent a lot of time going down there because it was only two or three minutes walk from the house. Yeah. And suddenly you could go and, you know, you could take out not just books, but you could take out music and stuff like yeah. that. Cassettes, and then of course, you copied them, <laughs> yes, of course, yeah. Um, uh, and I used to go down to the swimming baths and things like that, uh, and down to Partick, hey, you know. Partick, yeah. What was Partick like when you grew up? Was that more, was that really lively, or was that quite a, a, a different environment? Uh, well, I suppose it was a little bit more edgy, um, if you weren't from there, and and there's quite a division between Hillhead, probably, and Partick, yeah. Uh, socially or mm -hmm. you know like class wise um as it would have been seen then yeah. so um i suppose as a kind of bit of a middle class soft boy you know going mm. down to partick that was not exactly scary but you were on your alert you know yeah 
Um, and it was interesting because I went initially to school in Hillhead, mm-hmm. um, but due to difficulties I had at school, um, I was eventually moved to a school in Mary Hill, which sounds as if it would have been tougher or harder, but it was actually a great wee school. So I went to school, primary school, latterly in Denard Street in Mary right. Hill, right. Yeah, which was not terribly far from uh, Partick Thistle's ground at Fair Hill. Of course. But, so I became a Partick Thistle supporter for a few years. Oh, that's the sort of thing that doesn't leave leave one, surely. <laughs> no, but they've never done as well since I left Glasgow. <laughs> I was actually at the final of their moment of glory when they won the League Cup in 71. Wow. Uh, they beat Celtic 4-1 in the final and nobody could believe it. Oh, my uh, goodness. You know, open top bus and civic reception for Patrick Thistle after that. <laughs> That's fantastic. Ah, oh, wow. And it, so, um, when we talked earlier on, you mentioned that I, uh, you'd seen uh, Charing Cross and all that before the M8 had been put in. What was that bit of town like before it was taken over by the motorway? Because the motorway just it dominates everything in that area. Yes, it really cut through. I mean, I have to admit my memory isn't really clear. I just remember, I remember more the construction phase when they were just tearing stuff up. Um, But it's funny the wee remnants that you see, there's like, there's a public loo and I think there's a sort of fountain just at the end of Socky Hall Street on the western side of the motorway. Um, And well, up until fairly recently, that loo was still open. Yeah. And, um, you know, you could go down there and it was kind of underground um, and it was all tiled, a bit like the, the, the really posh one in Rothsey. Oh, yes. <laughs> which is still open and celebrated and used. I suppose it was, you know, Glasgow at its rich time, you know, when there were so many merchants um, and there were tenements, um, you know, big population, all the shipbuilding and, and, and the toing and froing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then suddenly this was a new kind of new wave, you know, transport was the thing and road transport was the thing, not, yeah. not sea transport anymore. Yeah. So I can I can remember going, you know, doing the water from the Brumelaw and yeah. that all kind of ceased right. and everything became road kind of orientated. Um, so the Kingston Bridge kind of just sliced right across that bit of the Clyde there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, all these motorways, I mean, it seemed endless, you know, the construction phase just yeah. seemed endless. There was also, they built that funny bit, which was obviously anticipating future connecting ring road systems. Yes. Um, so there was this kind of bridge to nowhere, yeah. everybody always called it. I think they eventually put offices or something on top of it. Right. Um, but there were some links that were never made. And then, for instance, the link, is it down at the M74? Yes. Um, on the south side. Yeah. That, they really only got that connected, what, five, ten years ago or something. Yeah, totally. And that makes going down to England so much quicker. It's mad. Oh, it's yeah, insane. It's, yeah. But it was a long time coming. Uh-huh. Yeah. I was conscious of growing up in Dunoon was the linguistic diversity between communities. If at school someone had got transferred from a school in Greenock and came across to Dunoon, you were like, oh, 
they got a Greenock accent. What's going on there? Were yeah. you conscious growing up in Glasgow of different types of Scots, different types of language usage within the communities that you that you were exposed to? Yes, I mean, you, you know, you only needed to go to school in Mary Hill to realise that. You know, um, the way I talked and the way they talked, I had to modify my speech very quickly if I wanted to fit in. <laughs> yeah. And that was quite funny. And then I would come home and my dad would say, you know, I'm an English teacher. Why are you speaking like that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was kind of caught between things. Um, and I learned lots of new words, some of them um, not very good for public hearing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I actually liked it because there was something very um, honest and direct about it. Yeah. Um, and in a way, I identified with those people quite easily yeah um so i maybe didn't speak like them but i kind of thought a lot like them yeah similarly you know we my cousins for instance lived in bear's den which was another world apart bear's den um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and you know we used to go out to the country just at weekends sometimes out no guy and yeah. to and these kind of places um and you were aware that there was a whole world beyond you know your bit of glasgow where people spoke differently, they earned differently, they did different things with their leisure time. Uh, yeah, so yes, there was that huge diversity and um, people did speak differently. Later on, uh, after I left Glasgow, I spent um, just under a year in Aberdeen yeah. and that was a revelation as well because I couldn't oh, understand it initially. <laughs> amazing, yeah, the Doric <laughs> is just wonderful, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I worked for a wee while in a timber yard there. It was a, one of the most boring jobs I had. <laughs> we were basically working in a pallet-making factory. With, oh, gosh. So it was semi-mechanised. There was a lot of humping wood about, but then you were working with pneumatic nail guns, nailing these pallets together, you know, as many as you could do in an hour. Yeah. It worked in pairs, and I was paired with this ex-trollerman uh, from Aberdeen, um, old Alec, and... Uh, he, um, you know, he spoke a completely different language, uh, and then the foreman was from Orkney. Oh wow! Aberdeen had a big connection with Orkney because of the ferries and what have you. Mm. So he spoke another language. You know, he wore kind of cowboy boots, and mm. it, it was a, it was a real melting pot. It was fascinating. So I, yeah, I've definitely I do enjoy all the different dialects, and and I still see that a lot in my work now. Oh yes, yeah, very much so. Yeah. People from all over. That's true. Well, talking of different dialects, different languages, let's go back to uh, East Germany. And so uh, you said you were, was it 17 when the wall fell? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, well, 16 when the wall fell, 17 when I came to Iona, I, the first time. I. Gosh. So at the age of 16, how conscious were you of communism as a, as a sort of a system or was it just normal life and if so how did that feel when the reality the mechanism of everyday life suddenly changed in such a dramatic way what did that feel like <laughs> um i think I, I probably had just started to become critical of of the system yeah uh, in which I ways was, what, what why were you critical of it? What, what was it that got uh, you just by, I mean, it, it was very much, um, I was belonging to a, a youth group in the church mm -hmm. and we met once a week and and where things were discussed. And I think church was naturally kind of critic, critical of the government, yeah. um, not terribly outspoken, but it, definitely behind closed doors. 
uh, I had an older brother, or well, I have an older brother, uh, six and a half year, years older, who, again, he obviously would have gone through that critical phase for me, and uh, we have a very good relationship, so he would have probably started some kind of thinking in me and and then yes definitely later with with all the kind of all the other youngsters in the youth group um there was lots of discussion of of things which actually which weren't maybe just fair or yeah. good should this be like that so um yeah I, I probably had just started and then uh, when when they started uh, i think was it the first they went to the embassy in was it in Prague the year before the wall fell you know when it all started and then the demonstrations in Leipzig actually they started in, in Leipzig which was amazing they mm. so we have uh, this one big church in Leipzig called uh, St. Nikolai Church and uh, people would meet there on a Monday mm-hmm. for uh, a, a service and then go for peaceful demonstrations and these demonstrations got bigger and bigger and bigger and it became more and more, from my point of view, more and more exciting. I mean, I've, I've never, I wasn't, I was never allowed to go to them. But mm. I, I went to one when it wasn't dangerous anymore. Wow. But, uh, you know, when, when things weren't uh, clear yet, um, I, I wasn't allowed to go. So, but some of the older guys from the, from the church group, they, they would, you know, on the Thursday uh, of that week, you know, we would sit together and they would tell us what happened. And it was extremely exciting. There was, you know, one Monday when there were already kind of thousands, hundreds of thousands on the streets. Uh, there were tanks standing there. And oh, my I'm, I'm God. Pretty, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure if we wouldn't have had Gorbachev, I, th- I think we were very lucky that, that Gorbachev was there. I think things could have looked very, very differently. I think th- there could have been a civil war. Because I think by then, I don't think they could have got us quiet again anymore. I think there was so much anger. And, and to be honest, the, the economy of Eastern Germany was broke. So, right. it, you know, something had to happen anyway. You know, there was no money. There was there was no hard money. Uh, our machinery was outdated. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was uh, covered unemployment you know, everybody had a job, but lots of people would just sit and not do anything. Um, yeah. So, so it, it, the system just didn't work. I mean, you know, and maybe this is me just brainwashed. For me, uh, socialism or communism as a thing is a brilliant idea. Yes. It's just I'm with you. you know, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just doesn't work. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, with with the people because we're all a bit too selfish, aren't we? Yes. You know, you have to be very unselfish. Yes, uh, we'll have another five-year plan. Oh, I'll do it this way. That'll be better. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, so, um, yes. I, I, it, 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 you know, and I think the wall falling uh, really opened up my mind more to to what what was out there before that. Maybe you just didn't look so far because you you knew you wouldn't get out there anyway. So, why driving right. uh, yeah. far? I don't know. Yeah. So what so, were the- what were the first changes you noticed as the wall came down? What, what do, you, do you remember the news broadcasts and how how did your I mean, parents react? Yes, I mean I remember the trabants, you know, uh-huh. going driving, you know, especially in West Berlin, you know, kind of the, yeah. the wall being hacked into pieces, people sitting on the wall. Um, so that it, it was what what's in my memory is very much from the telly, uh, yeah. like pictures from the telly. Um, 
which we were probably watching in this country it, it, at the same time. I know. Yeah. I know. I mean, I remember it was. I think it was a Thursday. The wall fell because I came back from from my church group evening, and uh, and my mum and dad said the wall has fallen. <laughs> <laughs> they were just so amazed, and, and you know, we could we all couldn't believe it. You know, yeah. because there was this very sudden announcement. Uh, you know. That, that the you know the the borders would be open, which was just so unbelievable. Amazing. It was so momentous, and 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 actually, at even at the moment, I think we couldn't actually grasp how momentous that was because mm. the whole Eastern Bloc really fell with that, uh, and yeah, how magic that was. And then you know, I don't know, a month or two later, we went the first time to West Germany, so Bavaria in the south was closest to us, so that's mm. where we went. Lovely. Uh, Everybody in Eastern Germany, everybody who, who went to Western Germany in that time, I think in the first year, and went to a local authority kind of place, uh, would get 100 East, West German mark. You just had to show your passport, and everybody got 100 West German marks, which was Goodness a huge end of <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Uh, so I remember getting claiming my hundred hundred marks and um, what did you buy? <laughs> <laughs> How did capitalism <laughs> seduce you? It's probably going to be shoes or something. I bought I bought <laughs> impulse spray, kind of very sweet, terrible smelling impulse. Oh my uh, goodness! I bought um, um, a very pink jogging suit. <laughs> I'm not that <laughs> really marker pink and about um a palestinian you know like a headscarf like a palestinian yeah yeah you know, he used to wear them yeah about one of those they were highly fashionable yeah and I, I still had some money left after that but i those were the three things i bought first yeah i was very <laughs> proud at the time that's brilliant so a, a pink jumpsuit with a yasser arafat scarf yes <laughs> <laughs> it's bad. It's bad. No. I was I was saying to Freya. Freya was uh, recently complaining about um, some what she used to wear two years ago, and I was saying, you know, we we all have times when we're very embarrassed about the things we, we used to wear, and that's definitely a, a phase I'm not very proud of. But... How many uh, how many children uh, of the nineties went to uh, fireworks displays in a shell suit and were told to hold a sparkler? You know. <laughs> Oh, I had one of those as well. <laughs> yeah, it's quite something. But, uh, so yeah, um, so to come back to, to, to Glasgow then, um, you stayed at home until you were 21. What did yeah. you do after school? Where, where did you, did you train? Did you have, a, uh, did you go, obviously went to Aberdeen, but what did you, what did you uh, do? Well, uh, I stayed at school until fifth year um, and then I went to Glasgow School of Art. Oh, lovely. Art was something that I was reasonably good at at school. I hadn't a clue what I wanted to do, really, yeah. you know, as an adult, a grown-up. Um, but I could I could draw a bit. And so um, you could get a portfolio together and go and present yourself. And if they thought it was good enough, then they'd either say, if you were really good, you got just straight in. Um, or if you were like me, they said, well, if you get certain qualifications, then we'll take you as well. Yeah. Um, so that's, I got in, and um, so I did four years at the, the Glasgow School of Art. Well, what did you specialise in? Well, first year was general course, and then I went to the murals and stained glass department. Oh, right. Uh, so I really enjoyed the first year the best. 
to be honest, when we did everything. We did bits and pieces, all different stuff, and continual experimentation and yeah. continual learning. Um, and I didn't really want to specialise straight after first year, but you had to. That was the yeah. system. Um, but I judged that the murals department was one of the bright, the widest kind of departments at the time. Yeah. Um, and it happened to be kind of um, paired with the stained glass department. So that's I went for that. Um, and I quite liked working big and sort of, I suppose, you know, you had quite a lot of different options of materials you could use. I didn't consider myself to be specialised and good enough a draftsman to go for drawing and painting. Mm -hmm. That was the one that appealed the most. So I went there. And it was not in the Macintosh building. It was in what was called the Haldane building, which was an old drill hall. Um, but it was still in Garnet Hill. Mm -hmm. And certain classes you'd go up to the Macintosh for, and mm -hmm. for lectures and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I, I wept a few years ago when, yes. when the Mac went in fire. Of course. And then, and then it all went fire again. I couldn't yeah. believe uh, and uh, when I was a kid, um, before I'd left school, um, they had this thing where they did um, Saturday morning kind of classes in the art school. And my mum and dad um, said, did you fancy doing this? So they enrolled me in that. And I went to these. That was a big adventure. I can't remember what age I was, but I remember it was some of my first bus journeys into town on huh? my own. Wow. To go to the art school on a Saturday morning. So I knew the Macintosh building even before I was at art school Brilliant. as a student. Um, and I loved the place. The beautiful, yeah. fantastic building. I, growing up in Dunoon, uh, Glasgow is a place of desire for me. It's a city that I I still love it. It's my touchstone city and I just get I get excited about going to Glasgow. Uh, yeah. So who were the, the tutors and or did you have any kind of uh, uh, peers that you remember very much from those days? Uh, well, um, I I went to the, the Saturday morning classes, actually. It was quite funny that um, Peter Capaldi was in, in that and I remember him yeah. as a, I don't know, 12-year-old or something like that. Yeah. Um, and he was right into horror movies and stuff like that and oh. he was painting things from, you know... Um, some of the famous actors, you know, Christopher Lee and, and um, wow. uh, these kind of guys, all that kind of stuff, that fascinated him even then. Yeah. Um, and he was then a contemporary of mine um, when I was at the art school, although I didn't kick around with him particularly. Yeah. There's one or two people probably not that well known. I don't think there was anyone that kind of made it really, really huge, although there's a few that made a reasonable name for themselves and some of them, um, were good enough to come back and be tutors at the art school after they'd been students, that kind of thing. Lovely. There's a guy called Alan Potter who was just a year or two behind me and he came back as a tutor in, I think, in the murals department. The tutors I had were, um, it was a guy called George Garson who was in charge of the department and he was he was a murals man. And then there was another older guy called Alf Avella. He was of Italian um, extraction and he was a brilliant guy, very, very um, cool in the kind of sense of he was just somebody that no matter what he did, it seemed to be quite cool. Uh, and it wasn't something he put on or strive, strove for. It was just the kind of guy he was. Mm. Um, and he was very friendly yeah, and very um, encouraging. And he was the stained glass man. Um, and originally I hadn't thought of doing any stained glass, but um, 
when I was partly through the the, the second year, I think it was, um, I got kind of more interest because it's all going alongside each other. All yeah, the, totally. Know, yeah. Got students doing glass, students doing mosaic as well, and then there's the big murals kind of stuff too. Uh, and I just thought, oh, I quite fancy a wee go at this. So Fantastic. I approached and ended up actually going into that um, more towards the end of my, my studies. So my degree show was a funny mixture because um, it had some mural stuff, it had some stained glass, and it actually had quite a lot of, um, it had a lot of landscape influence from wow. the West Coast because that was where my heart really was. And I was starting to realise by then, actually, um, that's where I want to be. Amazing. I know how to achieve it or what to do, yeah. but that was what I was, I knew what I wanted to be doing or where I wanted to be doing it anyway. The course was set, yeah. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And by the time I finished um, art school, I was kind of on the edge of giving it up. I was kind of saying to my dad, actually, I wish I was doing outdoor ed or something like that. Yeah. Um, I was really into the outdoors. I was going away on the bike at weekends. I was going climbing. And I loved being in the mountains and on the coast. Um, that was my escape. And I had quite a few mates in Glasgow that I would go off with. Um, and, you know, we were going to Glencoe and we were going to Arran and we were going to Jura. And, uh, yeah. You know, any, anywhere we could get to, really, um, in a weekend and back. Um, and then if you had time in the holidays, then you'd do something more ambitious. And it was great in those days. You could chuck your bike on the train, get the train out, and then cycle from there and then, you know, go up in the hills. And so you could actually get to quite obscure places sometimes in a relatively short space of time. down um, and there's a sense of liberty and movement within within Germany now, the, a united nation. Um, how did you come to go, come to Iona a year after the wall came down? What, what, where was your first consciousness of Iona and how did you come to be here? <laughs> uh, I, I had not heard about Iona at all. Um, I think um, I had English at school so I would have probably known things about Loch Ness, you know, Nessie. <laughs> that monster, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, about tartan kilts, you know, the, the, the <laughs> usual kind of what, what, what Scotland is about, but I'd never... <laughs> yes. It's <laughs> uh, supposedly about... <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, well, it's an argument, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, again, it, it was through the church, with the church group, uh, my, my church group leader, the youth group leader, she uh, attended uh, the World uh, Council of Churches uh, a meeting and uh, one of the community members, uh, Iona community mm. members, uh, was at that meeting as well. And she said, uh, oh, East Germany, wouldn't it be great if uh, some of your uh, youth would come to Iona? And so she said, you know, we, we invite two of your 
um, youngsters to Iona. We pay for the travel. And that's what happened. And, and the, the youth group leader, I don't know why, but she chose me and my friend uh, to go. And and it, it was magic. We, we I remember going to Leipzig Central Station and buying the tickets for to get to get return from Leipzig to Iona, please. <laughs> I, I remember the I remember the man getting a ruler out and measuring things with a ruler. Wow. I don't know. <laughs> it was I, I have you know there were no computers at the time. You know there, there were books involved. I mean it took us probably an hour to get that ticket. It was wow. like a handwritten ticket. It was quite magic and it felt like a really really big adventure. Um, yes. Course. You know, not having, I mean, that was my first trip really alone, you know, with, with my friend, you know, going somewhere, somewhere far away. And yeah, we took the, the train to Hock of Holland and then took the ferry. We stayed a night in London and I had my first Marmite experience. Ah. <laughs> what did, you think? did you like it? <laughs> well, I thought it was chocolate spread and I put it on really, really thickly. <laughs> And then, of course, we were brought up to never, ever, you know, leave something on the plate. So I had oh, to no. finish it. <laughs> so oh. I didn't have marmite for a very long time after that. But thankfully, you're now resistant to malaria, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do like it now. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it, it was a little bit too much. But yeah, we stayed a night in London, took the train to Glasgow, stayed a night in Glasgow, and then took the train to Oban and had a week on Iona. Um hmm. Which was, yeah, eye-opening because, again, it was the way the Aina community works, uh, you know, people coming from all over the world, spending a week together, doing workshops, craft sessions, going walking, uh, Kaylee dancing. Yeah. There were still, at, at that time, there was uh, a Monday a Monday Kaylee in disco and a Friday disco. It was, it was great. Uh, you know, 17. Yeah. Uh, yeah, perfect, perfect time, and so I'm, I'm, I'm pondering. I still don't know. I, I think Iona is a special place. I mean, it's a special place for many people. Yes. Uh, but I, I don't know if you know if if I would have been invited uh, somewhere to France or to Norway, you know, would mm. I have fallen in love with that place instead? You know, was it just that I was? It was the impressionable age or is it because it's Iona? I don't know that. I mean, I, I'd like to think it's because it's Iona. Mm. I, I, I certainly, I knew when I left after that week, I had to come back. Yeah. Um, it was, it was just, I think it was so beautiful, you know, uh, it, it, you know, at that time with 17s, I, I wasn't like, oh, this is a thin place or mm. it was just, I, f I felt very uh, happy there. Yeah. yeah. We'll come back to that. We'll come back to that question at the end. I think actually, why do people connect to Iona? I think that's worth having a look at at the end. Certainly. So obviously, Glasgow's got linguistic. Uh, Scotland has got linguistic diversity. Glasgow itself has fantastic linguistic diversity. German linguistic div diversity is an interesting thing as well. What kind of German did you speak growing up? Were you Hochdeutsch or were you kind of? Well, uh, probably my, I'm, I'm reasonably Hochdeutsch, probably. But um, so it's the the county is Saxon, Saxony. Right. I don't know. Yeah. And actually, is that not Saxon Coburg? Coburg is the, it's the royal yes, family. Yes, we don't <laughs> talk about them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Anglo-Saxons here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, the dialect in, like, my granny, uh, my parents not so much, but my granny sp spoke with a very thick um, dialect. So, wow. 
it's it's um, I think it's a brilliant dialect. It's not people poke fun at it. Yeah, it's <laughs> the rest of Germany, but um, it's uh, it's very broad and it's quite lazy with with the vowels. Um, but and yeah, got a few special words. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm I'm actually introducing special words yes, here. Yes, <laughs> it's funny the things you come out when you think, oh my God, what did I say? Yeah. And it was something from from Germany. There's a wonderful word, um, which I don't know how you would begin to spell it. I'm not very good at spelling at the best of times. Um, but it's mensch. Yes. And which means human. Yeah, yeah. it means human. But you use it usually when something's gone a bit wrong and you, uh, it's like a kind of soft curse. Wow. Um, it's not a swear word, but it's crept into this family's use. And in fact, you know, even my sons use it now occasionally. It's, it's very, very funny the, the way what happens. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. That family dialect is fantastic. That's I, I'm always amazed by that because Georgia, my wife, is from Sheffield originally, but she's been up in, in Mull for 30 years now. So, she, you know, it's a long time since she lived in Sheffield. But occasionally we will have words that we both go, eh, what? to each other. And it's really, <laughs> I love that. You know, sometimes it'll be a word specifically from my family because my, my, the sort of Gaelic roots of my family, and there'll be things coming through in that. And there'll be sort of lovely Yorkshire roots from Georgia's side coming yeah. yeah, family words are a really beautiful thing. Are there other words that stand out as well that, that from those, those that have crossed over there? Uh, what else? Sauerbruch is one in our family, which is when you're sick in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that one. Um, that wee no, bog that comes up and goes back down. <laughs> it's funny, oh, yeah. there are words which I was already using before I met Anya, mm-hmm. which I later discovered were German words. Um, like I remember um, saying, "Oh, it's a schnell wind," uh, and 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 An- and Anya sort of knew exactly what I meant um, because it was a German word. Yeah. But I didn't know it was a German word before. I actually thought it was some kind of Scottish word. That I'd... I always thought that was East Coast schnell. Sh- but of I course, think it is. Yeah. But it must have come from further. But remember, I remember uh, watching um, a play um, in the then still the little theater mm. and it was in scots yeah and you you at the end asked me oh was that all right for you did yes, you I remember that, yeah. and i was saying actually it was fine because there were lots of words which were kind of german yes <laughs> yeah and, and i was really surprised about that yeah. so there, there must be some connection there yeah, yeah definitely. No, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. it's not so far across the north sea no, not at all. No, no. No, no. mark i'm where did you go after university and what led you to, after Aberdeen rather, what led you to come towards this west coast in the end? And did you settle in Iona first? Was it Mull first? What, where, where did you go? Um, well, when I, when I left art school initially, I'd been coming up and working in Iona doing summer student jobs. So I'd been driving the van and uh, working in the bookshop and, you know, whatever I could get, basically really? any excuse. Uh, and I would come up and camp if I had no work. Somehow through that, when I was working as a van driver, there was um, a call went out to, was, was there anyone that was willing to go and help unload a boat of building materials at Camas? I immediately sort of said, yes, I'm up for that sort mm-hmm. of thing, you know, boats yeah. and, you know, new place on Mull, you know, um, that sounds like fun. So I went on this boat and um, it was great fun. It was Bertie McCrae. Um, who was the salmon fisherman who was working the boat and he'd basically borrowed one of the McBrain's red boats 
that they had as ferry boats in those days before we had the car ferry here. And they had a whole heap of building materials. And of course, Camus is an impossible place to get stuff like that. So the easiest oh. way to float. So, um, so I went round and I helped um, unload the boat. And um, it all took a long time. And because of the way the tides were, um, we couldn't get all the materials off on the, the mall shore itself. There was a little tidal island in the bay. And we had to unload a lot of that because we get the boat alongside it. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the building materials went onto that and then would need to be moved. And of course there was rain on its way oh. and had to go back. Oh. Um, so they said, can anyone stay and help get all this stuff undercover? So there was a phone call made to, to my boss and they said, oh yeah, that's fine. So I stayed a night. Um, and so I made a connection at Camus there. While I was still at art school, they um, contacted me and said, would I like to come and be uh, like an artist in residence for a couple of weeks? Wow. Um, and be part of the kind of programme with the young folk there as well. Nice. Um, so I, I did that and I had a great time and it seemed to work mutually. Um, so they said, um, when you finish art school, were looking for staff, basically. And at that stage, Camus was much less kind of um, developed than it is now. It's still quite basic by a lot of people's standards, but it was a lot less developed then. And there was still quite a lot of building work being done on the buildings to convert them for, for use. So basically, to cut a long story short, I went from art school to work at Camus. Um, and I was there for two years, basically. Uh, so I was the first place after Glasgow was actually Mong. Oh, lovely! Um, and I loved it. I just loved it. Um, and I was really keen on the boats, um, mm. and I loved being in amongst the salmon fishing. And um, eventually, I got to work with the salmon fishermen as well. Uh, so I was working with uh, Bertie McRae and with um, Willie Woods. And they were a brilliant pair. Willie Woods, I could hardly understand a word he said. I mean, talk about accents and broad. He had a very thick accent, but he was a brilliant guy. Yeah. Um, and so we were working with the nets and with the, the dinghies and fishing along that north coast of the Ross there. Oh, lovely. So I, I that was one of my best jobs ever. Yeah. <laughs> and I learned a huge amount from them. What was it that made you settle in Iona then? And is that the point where you started the boat business? No, no, that, that came a bit later. Um, well, basically, I was going out with a girl who I knew from Glasgow. We decided to get married. Uh, so when we got married, um, I left Camus to further that. And she was studying in Aberdeen at the time. So um, she had a... Our, she had rented a student flat sort of thing. So we went there and that's where we started off. Um, so I was in Aberdeen with her for a while. Um, but we were both keen to try and get to the West Coast somewhere. And we were exploring different avenues. And we looked at work in various places. We went for a job interview during the winter one time to Rasi. Oh, my goodness. And that was quite a journey. It was yeah. thick snow. Uh, we hired a car and we set off from Aberdeen in the middle of the night. Oh, wow. We kept in the car in the snow. Oh. Kind of, 
<laughs> which was freezing. Yeah. Um, and we got over to Rasi and we didn't know we'd get off again because it was so stormy and um, it was one of the wee island class ferries and they right. just managed to get us on. Uh, and uh, we did actually get offered the job, but we didn't take it. And that was in a kind of outdoor centre in the right. big grass house. So that was an adventure. Mm. Uh, and then we went for a job interview on Mull. That was at uh, Grulin. Oh, yes. And we actually got offered that job too. But simultaneously to that, we had been doing some work for my father um, in a place called Glenelg. Um and he'd been he'd been left a house there by his uncle. Wow! And eventually he went to live there once he retired mm. from working in Glasgow. So I was doing some work for him on the house, and this was a way a kind of halfway house. It was a way of working. He was paying us a kind of subsistence sort of wage, and it was a way of us being the west coast and kind of putting out feelers and trying to find a way. So we were in Glenelg for a period of time. And during that time, we did this interview in Mull, but we also um, were contacted by uh, Fiona Mingus, who ran the Argyle Hotel in Iona. Right. And she was pregnant. Um, and she contacted us because she was looking for somebody to caretake the hotel over the winter. Uh, and on the back of that, there would be work the following se summer season. And she knew my new wife then, Judith, because she'd worked there as a summer job. So we were offered work there. So we decided to take that. Um, so we had a promise of a year's work in Iona, and we went to Iona um, then. And, well, I've been there ever since. Oh, <laughs> gosh. Man. So that was just... the start. That was the start of work in Iona, basically. Oh. And when did the boat company come about? How did you come up with that? Uh, that came a bit later. I was working for the hotel for quite a while, and I kind of... At first, we were doing a bit of everything, which was quite good because you understood how the whole place operated. Yeah. But fairly quickly, I kind of went more into the maintenance side of things. So I became the kind of hotel handyman. Right. I was working doing that pretty much all the year round. So even in the winter, I had work because there was all those renovations and conversions and what have you. Yeah. Which was quite good, enjoyable work. But also, um, another job came up while I was doing that, which was the postman. Ah, and I was a bit torn because um, it was only part time the postman. So I eventually approached Fiona and said, "You know, how would you feel if I was to go part time post and could I still do part time handyman?" And so we came to an agreement, and um, that's what I did. Nice. So I then became the postman on Iona, which was a brilliant thing for yeah. me, really at the time, because it meant I got to know everybody. Yes. And um, and everybody, you know, kind of spoke to you and yeah. you became very much part of the fabric of the island. Yeah. And I also liked it because it continued me getting out every day on the bike, yeah. uh, which I loved. Sometimes the weather was awful and so you were soaked and it was very windy. But somehow that never bothered me very much. I, I would much rather, you know, if somebody offered me a, a desk job in a nice cosy office, or go and batter your way around the roads in Iona to deliver the mail. I knew straight away which I wanted to do. So I did that for a long time. I actually did that for 18 years. Gosh. <laughs> um, and um, on a, Did you say on a bike, yeah? On a bike, yeah. yes, on a push bike. 
Yeah. Uh, Gordy was the first one to get the quad, he said. He was. <laughs> right. I, and I, I listened with great interest to, to your interview with him, and it was fun to, to hear that about his excitement with the quad bike. I had one week of the quad bike, um, which wasn't an official post bike, uh, post post office quad bike, but we we got snowed in one winter, and you literally couldn't drive a car to the north end of Iona, so that shows how much snow there was. I can't yeah. remember what year it was. And David Kirkpatrick at that point, who was my um, neighbour, um, he had uh, a quad bike for hauling his dinghy up and getting creels up and down to the pier and stuff like that when he was still fishing. And so he lent me his quad bike. Uh, so I I did the post on the quad bike as well for a week. Mm. And it was great fun. But I think one week, didn't the, the fitness didn't suffer too much. In one week. <laughs> yeah. So the boat business came about later, um, and I suppose what it boils down to was I would be at the top of a ladder painting windows and uh, the eaves of the hotel building, and I'd be looking out over the water, and it'd be a beautiful summer's day like today, and there would be little boats on the move, and I was just thinking back to, you know, salmon fishing, and I was thinking back to working for fun as a teenager on the red boats and I yeah. you know I just was desperate to be on the water yeah. and I was desperate to find a way of doing that which could justify itself in me not doing so much work ashore yeah. um, and uh, my brother-in-law at the time uh, Peter had worked on the island for a while and he had said why don't we club together and get a boat and run some other boat trips you know there's all these trips to Staffa, but there's lots of other places you could go yeah, as totally. well. You know, once you've been Staffa a few times, you might want to try that. Uh, now, he, he didn't stay in the island very long. He stayed a couple of years. He lives in Shetland now. Mm. Uh, but the idea sat in my head, and eventually um, we bought a boat just as a family thing, and I started to kind of take pals out in the boat, you know, just family and friends basically um, and we would always have such a good time and it was a great day off thing time off thing but it was very sociable as well and I, I, thought, I began to think well Peter maybe was right there maybe would be some kind of work there so I looked into it and I eventually got the boat licensed and I went away and did my ticket and um, started very very tentatively with this really rather small boat. It was only 19 feet long. Um, they gave me a license to carry uh, six passengers, right. which with hindsight, I'm amazed they even gave me that, you know, because it wasn't a big boat. Yeah. Um, and it was quite restricted, the area we were allowed to operate. But it meant that I could literally test the waters. Um, yeah. So for a while, I was doing the post and doing the maintenance and yeah. doing occasional boat trips. And by then I was just a volunteer fireman. So I, I was a typical island kind of person with lots of hats. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I quite liked the variety. And the boat trips was very slow burn, but it started to, to build a wee bit. And you could see that if you wanted to, you could make something more of it. Yeah. So eventually um, I took the plunge and asked my father to borrow some money and um, bought a slightly bigger boat, uh, which I bought from... Uh, your way bought it from Jeremy Matthew, ah. who used to live um, just yeah. at Derby there. Yes, um, and so that 
that meant we could take a few more folk and it was a more capable boat. Right. Uh, so things grew from there, basically. And of course, it was also a sailing boat, which made a difference. Yeah, amazing. The question is quite simple. How? <laughs> How did you come here? Like, from... from would so, the... so, after, after, so after I came here in 1990 the first time. Mm -hmm. um, I came back uh, three times in between, kind of just um, as, as a backpacker with friends. Uh, we would camp at the North End. It was still possible then just to camp on a Lacandoran farm. They, mm. you know, they just said, you know, camp there. Here's a, a tap, a water tap. And I would do that. And then I was, I went to university, uh, I was uh, studying business management. Wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was one of these things, just like Mark said, you know, I didn't really know what to do. And I think um, and as, as, a, as a young woman, if you didn't really know what to do, people would say, why don't you study business and you can work in an office? Terrible. <laughs> yeah, Terrible. And I had so many other interests, but I think I don't think the um, career advice was very good at the time. Yeah. Anyway, it, I'm, I'm not I'm not regretting it because I think going to university is a good thing, whatever you study, because it teaches you things, you know, yeah. at least of how to use a library and things yeah. like that. So, so I was I studied and I was in my last year of studying and I wrote my thesis and I finished that in kind of February time, I think, January or February time, and I had to take a kind of final exam, and I couldn't take the final ex exam until June, so I knew I had those kind of good three months uh, between finishing the thesis and uh, doing that final exam, but I didn't have anything to do, so I could have obviously worked uh, in a bank or whatever in Germany and earned Business, some money, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but instead I thought, this is, this is my chance to go to Iona and spend some time a really big amount of time there and, and just, just do something extraordinary. And as a German, maybe not just as a German, but as a German, you're very much the, the kind of, you know, you're, you're leaving school, you go into university and then you get a job and then you have a family. <laughs> it's nicely organized. We are very organized, we Germans are. And, uh, so, so, so in my head, that, that was a really big thing to do because nobody else in my family had done that yet, this kind of taking three months out and go traveling. Break kind the of. mold, yeah. Yes. So, um, so I... And I only really kind of, I knew Iona through the Iona community. So I applied to come and work um, in the coffee house, which still existed then for the Iona community as a volunteer. Mm -hmm. And they accepted me. So I arrived on a, on a very beautiful, extremely beautiful uh, March day, uh, warm March day. And yeah, I stayed for three months. Uh, I loved, loved every minute of it. Yeah. Every minute of it. Uh, I couldn't, yeah. Um, during that time, uh, a long like I was in a relationship with uh, a man for seven years, and that relationship broke up, which was probably meant to break up. So it was very sad, but it was good. Mm -hmm. And so I, I went back in June, did my final exam, moved out of the flat I had been sharing with that guy, and came back for another three months. <laughs> <laughs> Finished the season. Um, 
which again, my mum my, my was tearing her hair out because she was just like, what are you doing? What, you know, you should be starting work. <laughs> and I said, yeah, just another three months, you know, you know, yeah. just broken relationship. I need a bit of time out. Yeah. Um, so I came back um, again. Uh, it was, it was amazing. It was, it was, you know, meeting different people and actually just discovering myself. I think going away from my usual constraints of family, of, of nationality, of how I should be, you know, p- partly described by myself, yeah. but in my own kind of whatever brainwashing of, you know, growing up in Germany. The uh, cop in the head, yeah. Yes, yeah, yes. And suddenly you're there, you see what other people are doing and you see the opportunities that are out there and that there's a lot more in myself than I thought there would be. And yeah. um, I... Yes, so at the time I just thought, you know, the, the time was going to an end and I thought, I, I don't actually want to leave here. And I, I I always loved cooking. I always loved cooking, but I never ever considered to go to cooking school because I was good in school. So, you know, nobody ever said, why don't you, you know, go to cooking school yeah. and, and, and do this? But, but, uh, because it seemed like below, which is silly, of course, but it's... I was good at school, so I ought to go to university and do something proper. So uh, anyway, by the end of my volunteer time, I applied to become the Abbey cook for the oh, following wow. season. And uh, I got the job. So I, w- I went back to Germany in November. By then I knew Mark. We, we had become, right. become friends. Um, on I don't know. We met on the... I, I went walking. We met on the post oh. Um But we were only friends. Yeah. And um, I came back in February of uh, 2000, and that was basically me. I mean, I came back in February 2000 for one season, and then I stayed another season. <laughs> and then we've heard this uh, story before. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so so I, I never fully decided. Actually, oh, I'll come here and I'll stay here. It was something which developed, and yeah. and here I am, still 20 years later. Oh yeah. I, I I finished at the Abbey in 2001. And then worked for three years at the Argyle Hotel, right. and uh, and then a year at the Columba before, and then we had Freya. So yeah, Gosh. and then I, was, I knew I was. I mean, I I think by 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 the time I was working in the Argyle, I knew I wanted to be here just yeah. for good. Yeah. Mm. So you've got Freya, your daughter, who's been brought up uh, on uh, on Iona. Mark, you've got sons as well. Were they all brought up on Iona as well? Yes, they were, yes. Neil and Stuart, they went to the primary school here and they went to Oban, just the, the standard kind of procedure that you have here, really. What do you think that Iona offers for a family? Well, I mean, I remember right from when we came on holiday, and I, and it, I still see it now in my grandson, I think one of the things is it's a fantastic place for young kids. Yeah. Um, you've got amazing freedom. There's virtually no crime. All the kind of dangers are kind of obvious natural known ones yes um and kids can do so much um and i think if you actually grow up here the the primary school setup by and large has been really good yeah and so you get quite a good start yeah. i think it's maybe not as brilliant for a teenager no. but it's interesting how many people including both my sons and people of that kind of tranche of that generation have come back despite it maybe not being great as a teenager 
Um, so, you know, I I feel for Freya in some ways because she's at that stage just now. Yeah. And, you know, right now what she would probably like to do is aim at living in New York for a while. And, you know, I very much encourage Neil and Stuart to, to go out into the world and, and do stuff elsewhere, which they both did. Um, and, you know, I didn't actually expect them to come back. Um, delighted that they did. Yeah. Um, but I, th- I do think it's a fantastic place for young families, for, yeah. for young kids. I think it's a good start. Um, after that, you've got to make your own way. You've got to decide, Which is, is it a place where you can do something that's fulfilling enough as earning a living, if you can earn a living at all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you've got to decide, you know, can you exist without direct access to, to the big city life, if that's what you like. Um, but for a lot of people now, it is a great option because, um, you know, you can work down the wire and that kind of thing more and more. So, yeah, I, I think on, on many levels, it is a brilliant, brilliant place to start life. Um, so that then ties into the question that I asked uh, Vary Killen. Um, what do you reckon the connection that people have with Iona is because it seems to have a hold over people. What do you think the connection with Iona is for people? What is what is it? I don't think it's all the same for all people. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. You know, yeah. I mean, what I had um, had, although my father was involved in the community, it wasn't anything religious or to do with the community that made me want to be an Iona. Um, they weren't a discouragement, but neither were they a key reason. No. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of people come and it's a religious or spiritual thing, but there's also a lot of people come just because it's a beautiful landscape yeah. or it's a safe place to holiday. And it's it's maybe partly because it's fairly small too, so you can yeah. actually get to know the people. And a lot of people that come back year after year, they really want to engage with the people that live here all the time because they see that as part of the equation. It is, I mean, it's a special place. I don't think there's, I I suspect there's not a place I could go to in the world that I thought was more beautiful. I think Iona is not necessarily more beautiful than everywhere else, but I think it's up there on that level. And I've had people on the boat from all over the world and they'll say, you know, on a good day, you know, when the weather is good, <laughs> there there's nowhere that's you know especially better than this. This yeah. is amazing. Yeah. Um, of course, it's not always like that, but actually, I quite like it when it's not nice too. Yeah, uh, totally. Yeah, spectacular. You know, it's character. That's what it is. It is. Yes. Of course, you know, for some people, the life in the winter it's. It's, you know, it's that lack of vitamin D and lack of daylight and um, the enclosedness of it and the dark, long, dark nights, you know, so <laughs> dark, all that sort of stuff. But yeah. that's never particularly bothered me. No. Um, so I don't know what it is that's special, but I think there's a whole lot of things that's special. Maybe Anya's got other ideas. Yeah, Anya, what do you think? Uh, I think it's a connection with the land. And the sea, I suppose. Yeah. And I think it's very, I mean, for me personally, it's about small community. Yeah. Uh, this, I, I think Iona has that perfect amount of people, you know, where you still know each other. You know, there's there's plenty of people, so you, 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 you have a good average of ages. Yeah. There are plenty of people to kind of 
communicate with, some you're friends with, some you're more just acquainted with. Yes. Yeah. So, so it's 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 enough people, but not too many. I think. I, I just recently have been reading, or I'm still reading, um, a short history of mankind, uh, sapiens, yeah. short of humankind, and in 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 the kind of. Uh, chapter in the first chapter about the hunters and gatherers uh, he talks about the kind of perfect tribe amount of people in a tribe like that would be about 150 around 150 because that's where people feel comfortable and you know that's where just good decisions can be made and and i think that's i I think that has a lot to do with it um you know it's It's a manageable scale yeah it's you know that definitely for me it's a it's a good place to be connected to the earth yeah yeah i think if you ask people that visit and you ask people that live there they'll give you different answers Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you know a lot of people come maybe seeking something or they come um you know for some quite spiritual sort of reason yeah Uh, but a lot of the people that live here um is maybe a bit more down to earth than that Mm -hmm. um but uh, you know I, i don't devalue any of those i think it's it's a melting pot iona is a melting pot and it's one of those places that's so small and yet it's so cosmopolitan as well mm-hmm. that's fantastic well thank you both so much for your time that's absolute magic you give me absolute gold thank you <laughs> good, good. you well. could go on and on couldn't you with these things Thank you so much, Anya and Mark. It was an absolute delight to get a chance to spend time with you both. I look forward to catching up with you again at some point soon. And thank you too to Freya for all your help in setting up this interview. When the lockdown's lifted and you get a chance to get out and about, I'd really recommend a trip out with Mark and the Bertha Marie. They travel to a wide range of locations near Mull and Iona from a three-hour trip to a day-long trip. You can find out more information about sailing with them on boattripsiona.com. That's boattripsiona.com. In the meantime, if you're looking for something to watch that reminds you of Mal and Iona, if you're not here, I've put a video up on uh, what we do in the winter website that may be of interest. It's a series of shots from projects that I've made around the islands, running from north to south. It lasts about half an hour and features the sound of nature from round our way here, at the mouth of Loch Achuen, which they can hear at the moment actually behind me. There's also a list of podcasts on the website that might be of interest to you if you're looking for more things to listen to. Talking of which, I'm working on another couple of podcast projects that may be of interest to you, I don't know. Um, There's a reminiscence project about the presence of the American naval base in the Holy Loch outside of Dunoon called American Years Revisited that have asked me to help record their memories. And it promises to be a really interesting project with loads of different perspectives on the American years. It's now 30 years since the Navy left the area, so it's it's a high time to explore it. I'm also working with my mate Chris on a popular culture podcast called Sequels, Prequels, Reboots and Remakes. When I record what we do in the winter, I try and cut myself out of it as much as possible because ugh, you, don't, you don't want to hear my pish. So <laughs> with this one, it's much. It's uh, about the two of us chatting together back and forth about films, books, TV, series and music. It's just been lovely to work on and it's, it's that thing of it's just great to spend time with your pals. Now, 
As these podcasts take quite a lot of time to make, I'm looking to fundraise through donations. So if you feel like it, and you're able to, only if you're able to, please feel free to donate the cost of a cup of coffee through the website. You'll see a donate tab there where you can donate if you so wished. Although I've had to give up coffee lately as it's not doing my blood pressure any good, which is a bit of a shame because I really do like coffee. Anyway, I'm going for green tea. That's much. That's, that's, that's very nice as well. Thank you so much to those of you that have contributed. I, I really greatly appreciate it. And on that note, thank you to David, Donald, Ollie, the anonymous donor, Lindsay and Wendy. Your support is very, very much appreciated. Thank you. But genuinely, don't worry if you can't donate or you don't want to. I'd much rather that you listen than, than not. And if you want to sponsor any of the episodes to come as a business, please feel free to drop me a line. Also, to help me grow the podcast. Now, this, it'd be brilliant if someone could do this. That'd be really, really appreciated. If you want to leave a rating or review on whichever platform you use to listen, I'd be most grateful. It just helps build traction within kind of the algorithms of podcast um, platforms. It'd be really great if, 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 if you could get a few more reviews. Thank you very much for your time, those that do. Um, and thank you always to those of you who reach out to say hello. It's great to hear from you. Thanks. As ever, the webpage, whatwedointhewinter.com has all the links and info you'll need from this episode. And we can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Instagram. And Insta- Instagram. Well, I hope this podcast gives you a wee hour and a bit more away from everything. Sound of bird behind me is rather nice. Could you? Wherever you may be, I hope that you and those you love are well. May your knuckles be chappet and dry for all that washing. I look forward to speaking to you again soon. More in time. Shinakadeh.